If you have your copy of the scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation, we're beginning in uh, Revelation chapter seven, 17, excuse, Revelation chapter 17, uh, but uh, keep your Bibles open because we're going to be flipping through a few passages uh, covering uh, really uh, chapter 17 through, uh, through chapter 20 this week. Now, it hasn't been exciting to be able to, uh, to take a fresh look at this book of Revelation and to see Jesus in all of his glory. I hope that over the past few weeks you've come to realize that Revelation is actually not a, a book to, to fear or to really avoid in any way, but a book about Jesus. And in fact, a book about Jesus as our Savior, the conquering King. It's a book that we need to not only uh, know, but it's a book that should inspire us to keep on keeping on living for Jesus, lifting Him up, our light and our hope and our salvation into uh, the darkness in our community. Last week we covered a, a huge portion of uh, the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to 16, covering a section on uh, judgment for those who do not follow Jesus in a time of tribulation on the earth when uh, God shows His power and His majesty and yet He still extends mercy to any who will trust in Jesus. Today we're going to cover another large section of uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 17 to 20. And our focus is really on Jesus being victorious over all and all those who follow Jesus having never-ending life. We're going to start uh, this section with an unusual story from uh, Revelation chapter 17 about a prostitute and some kings. Let me read for you in Revelation chapter 17, uh, verses 1 to 5. Revelation chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, says this, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come and I'll show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by the many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a cup, a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. It said, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the, uh, and of the abominations of the earth. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Let's just pray. Dear God, I thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word. And Lord, I pray that your, your spirit guide us through your word now. Teach us your ways, uh, who you are, with your power and all authority. Lord, show us your mercy and grace for any who will trust in you. Lord, show us the salvation which is available to any through Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to celebrate you high and lifted up as King of kings and Lord of Lord, victorious over all. Lead us through your word now, Lord, and teach us your ways. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now we've recognized that um, this uh, the section, the majority of Revelation is written with lots of symbolism and, and allegory. And so, in fact, this is not the story of a, a literal woman who's a prostitute. 
But John, the writer of this vision, is astonished by what he sees here as he sees this uh, woman riding on a, a beast and she's adorned in everything beautiful, isn't she? And, and attractive with the, the gold and the jewels and she's wearing purple, a, a symbolic of, of royalty. And she's riding this, this hideous beast. And he's astonished by what he sees here. And, and so the angel who's with John says um, in verses 8 to 12, look, don't, don't be astonished by what you see. Let me lay it out for you and I'll kind of describe what it is you're seeing here. The beast represents Satan and he will be one who, who will come up out of the abyss uh, when God allows, but he will eventually be destroyed. He seems powerful and he seems hideous and he seems strong, but he will be uh, destroyed by God. The inhabitants of the earth that it describes there in, in verse 2, it says, are those who whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. So they're not followers of Jesus. They're people who have decided not to trust in Jesus. And they follow the temptations of the devil. It says the, the seven hills are seven kings who fall into sin, sin and temptation. The, the ten horns of this beast represent ten kings. Some of them have not, they've not even been given their kingdoms yet or, or, or the power, but they someday will rise to a, a, a position of authority and, and power and strength, but only for a short season and only to hand that power over in the kingdoms over to the beast or to Satan. Satan's purpose is to deceive and to trick and to mislead the kingdoms of the earth to try to stand against Jesus. And it says many are those multitudes of those who fall into that temptation and fall to the temptation of Satan. They follow those temptations because they seem alluring and they seem wonderful. And Satan tries and tries to, to build this army of people who will fight against God. And he promises them the world. He promises them the kingdoms and the power and the riches and the glory. But Satan can't stand against God. He has no power. He has no authority. In Revelation 17, verse 13 and 14, it says this. This is the, the different king, the ten kings. It says, They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with Him will be His call chosen and faithful followers. I love this passage. In verse 14, it says, all these kings and all these kingdoms and, and, and the, the beast and the false prophet and, and all these that the prostitute have lured into sin, they will try to wage war against the lamb. Now, it, it's almost a, a funny picture, I guess, if you're seeing uh, this battle of all these kings mounted up. I don't know how many of you like movies and uh, these kind of old medieval war scenes but if you do and I, I tend to be one who who like these kind of things you can see how this one kingdom brings maybe a thousand soldiers and you can see them marching up and sometimes you can hear the soldiers marching up to uh to to battle and then you look and another kingdom has brought a thousand soldiers or thousands of soldiers and together there's mounted this massive army but not against a mighty fort not against another the army but against a little lamb sitting there 
Now, any of you who would see that picture would say, that lamb is toast. He doesn't have a chance, does he? you got all these armies with, with spears and, and swords, and, and they're surrounded, surrounding this lamb, or they're up against this little lamb. It says, they wage war against the lamb. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Unless you know who the lamb is. Because the lamb, just as the, the beast represents Satan, the lamb represents Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 14, They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with Him are all those who are called, chosen, and His faithful followers. Jesus and all the Christians are standing there. This Lamb, Satan and and all those who He's deceived, think that they will have the victory over Him. and They don't stand the chance. It says that the Lamb will triumph in that battle every single time. The Lamb will triumph over all because He's King of kings and Lord of lords. So over and over, uh, the book of Revelation will, will tell us not to fall to the, the, the temptations of, of sin and, and corruption. There are things that the world promises. There are things that, that Satan promises that sound alluring and they sound wonderful and they, they kind of tickle our ears and, and, and it's, it's what we want to hear. But it ultimately leads to destruction and it leads to death. Christ offers life, eternal life with God. He will triumph over all. Chapter 17 continues in by talking about uh, this prostitute as the, the great city. Now in chapter 17, verse 5, it says, this prostitute has written across her forehead a mystery. It says, Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes and the abomination of the earth. The mother of all prostitutes. This prostitute in chapter 17 and, and chapter 18 represents uh, what it, it says is, is Babylon or, or a city representing a great city who uh, has led uh, the kings of the earth and people of the earth away from God. It says, with her in ver- chapter 17, verse 2, with her the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Now, This city in chapter 18 is identified as uh, the name of, of Babylon. And it is a, sin, a city in the Old Testament known for its sin and destruction, its denial of God. Uh, in the book of Daniel, it speaks a lot of, um, of the people in, in Babylon. And uh, you, you know of uh, great leaders like Nebuchadnezzar who tried to uh, raise up uh, an image of himself for people to worship and said, no longer are people going to worship the God of Daniel, but you're going to serve and bow down to the golden image that I make. And, uh, and, and he said he will kill anyone who doesn't follow uh, his instructions. And yet you see God uh, victorious over that as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to that. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar throws them in a fiery furnace, and yet they're not destroyed. Uh, the fire has no influence on them. In fact, he calls them back out unharmed and says look there's a fourth man loose and walking around in the fire with these guys and it looks like the son of god god shows his power over this great city and this great corrupt uh people of babylon and yet their power and influence over governments and over military through the years has has been alluring and enticing 
Others have wanted that sort of power. They've wanted that sort of authority. They've wanted that sort of name for themselves. It is, represents city of, of sin and, and destruction. In the New Testament, in fact, in the time here of uh, Revelation being written, it could have actually be re- referencing uh, the, the city of Rome. For Rome in itself and the Roman government have become, in the New Testament times, the times of early church, that government which was against God, which had uh, their own gods and uh, their own laws and their own ways of doing things. Uh, the emperor was considered to be a god and to be honored and to be worshipped. The Christians stood against that and said, there is only one God, and that is Jesus Christ, and we will worship Him. And you remember that the book of Revelation is written under a great a time of incredible persecution for the Christians. They were beaten, they were abused, they were killed for their faith. And so when people hear of Babylon, they, they would, yes, think of the Old Testament, and this early church would think of the Old Testament, and that city of, of sin and corruption who stood against God. But they would also say, wow, this is true in our own time with, with Rome. And they see the persecution which stands. But chapter 18 follows chapter 17's view that Satan may try to stand against God, but he doesn't stand a chance. Chapter 18 talks about the fall of this city. You see, the people may, the people of Babylon or the people of Rome or the people of these great powers have trusted in power and they put their trust in government and they put their trust in politics and money and self and Satan, but not in God. They've refused to trust in Jesus as Lord. In chapter 18, verse 1 to 8, says that city, that sort of setup, will fall to the power of God in Christ. Chapter 18, verse 1 to 8, says that they will be destroyed by their own sin. They will be destroyed because of uh, their sin and, and, and not turning to Christ. The Bible says over and over in the New Testament that sin leads to death. And it's only through Christ that we have life. These people, these, this city, this power, this entity have denied Christ and decided to go their, their way of sin. And the Bible says in chapter 18 of Revelation that sin will lead to death. The church or the followers of Jesus uh, are called out from the city to not be deceived by her and to follow Jesus and to prepare for those who, um, who don't follow Jesus to be destroyed. Verses 4 and 5 says this, I heard another voice say from heaven, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins and so you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes, and He will pay her back. So he warns the, the believers in Jesus who are accepting Christ, even in the midst of uh, great times of, of trials and tribulation. He, he says, look, watch out, because this city of Babylon, this great entity, will be destroyed. Those who follow sin and corruption, will lead, it will lead to death. You need to follow Christ. And then in chapter 18, we see a great series of, of mourning. In fact, there's kind of a threefold mourning over Babylon. Now, I don't want to get too, uh, too morbid for you, but I want to talk about funerals there for a moment. Now, I don't know how many of you 
have sat at a, a large funeral and you've seen hundreds and hundreds of people come up. And you sat and you thought, hmm, I wonder who would come to my funeral. I wonder how many will be there to see me. Sometimes I picture one lonely person just kind of sitting there, just going, eh, I didn't even know him, but, you know, he's got to have some, somebody. Him. But some people have thousands and thousands of people come to their funeral. And we've all seen state funerals and, and those things where it's televised and there, there are hundreds and even thousands of people who watch a funeral. Well, this, in a sense, is kind of the, the largest funeral you can imagine. Death has kind of shocked the world. Now, you imagine that that sort of funeral would be for someone who was great and someone who was mighty, someone who has contributed to the life of others, right, in a positive way. But this is someone who is a life of sin, a life of corruption, a life of deception, and says this is a death that shocked the world, a death they never thought would happen. Because what the world saw as mighty Jesus here reveals as being weak and vulnerable. What the world sees is indestructible. This is the world that I've made for myself. This is the world that, that Satan has promised me the riches and the glory of all. This is something which is indestructible. God has destroyed in an instant. And then all the people, it, it begins in, in verses, uh, chapter 18, verses 9 to 24, by saying all the kings of the earth are saying these are kings who have committed adultery uh, with her and they've shared in her luxuries. They fall and pray to those, those temptations and those sins that, that Satan offers. All these kings are sitting around saying, what has happened? We thought you were mighty and we thought you were strong and yet in one hour you've been destroyed. You seemed like you had it all. And God stepped in and you're gone. Verses 11 to 16 Say all the merchants of the land who had gained their wealth through sin and deception are sitting around saying, Woe to you, Babylon. You're looking good in all your, you're dressed in your best. You looked beautiful, and yet you've been destroyed by God. The merchants of the sea in, in verses 17 and 19 says, Was there ever a city like this before? How great was Babylon! How great were the luxuries that she offered, and yet in one hour she's gone. Verses 20 to 24 says, God has destroyed her. With the judgment that she has imposed on others, the punishments that she has imposed on others, God has judged her. And in chapter 19, it's kind of a reversal. In chapter 18, you've got all the people going, Wow, we thought sin offered the world. And yet, God has destroyed the city of Babylon. God has destroyed her in an instant. Chapter 19, rather than all these times of mourning, the kings and the merchants and the other merchants mourning the loss of Babylon, in chapter 19, you see where heaven praises uh, the destruction of Babylon. And you see a, a threefold uh, praise for God's deliverance and destruction. In uh, verse 1 to 3, it says, There's a multitude in heaven... Uh, chapter 19, verses 1 to 3, says there, there's a multitude in heaven who are, are shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. He's condemned the great prostitute for, who corrupted the earth by her adulteries, and He has avenged her blood. Uh, sorry, He has avenged on her the blood of His servants. 
verses 4 and 5 says the 24 elders that we've talked about before and the, the four living creatures bow down and they honor and they worship Christ, uh, praising Him and saying, Praise our God, all you servants who fear Him, both great and small. And then verses 6 to 8 says there's a great multitude, a multitude upon multitude uh, of people in heavenly bodies praising God and saying hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. And there's a beautiful uh, beautiful story of the, uh, uh, the wedding, uh, wedding ceremony of the Lamb. A beautiful time in which the, the, those who have followed in Christ will sit down in peace with God Himself and Jesus Christ as the, the, the church, as the bride of Christ, united with uh, the bridegroom forevermore. Verse one, uh, the second part of verse 1 says, Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. The church, the followers of Jesus, finally sit at peace in this uh, wedding supper of the Lamb in verses 6 to 8. And John, as he sees all of this, is just overcome with, with praise. And he, he falls down at the foot of the angel in worship. And the angel says, get up. Don't worship me. He said, I'm just a fellow servant. Worship God. For it is through the spirit of prophecy that bears witness to the testimony of Jesus. What is he saying there in verse 10? He says, worship God. For we are only telling you the story of the power and the redemption that comes through faith in Jesus. He is the one with the power. He is the one with the authority. He is the one who will save every time. And then in chapter 19, verses 11 to 21, we see where Satan tries to, uh, to mount up uh, a defense or a, an army against, against Christ. Chapter 19, um, verse 11. The beautiful story of Satan trying to stand against God's power, but then Jesus steps on the scene. Let me read this quickly for you. Uh, 11, 21 says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped with blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the, uh, of the fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. And on his robe and on his thigh are written this name, King of kings and Lord of lords. I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come and gather together for the great supper of God. Let me read then in um, sorry, verses 19 to 21. It says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse the white horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider of the horse, and all the birds gorged on their flesh. 
Now, this is a, a gory picture, I think, of, of war, but a beautiful picture of the power of God. The beast and the false prophet and the kings of the earth that he had deceived are trying to stand to wage war against the Lamb. And when the Lamb comes to the scene, he's not this timid Lamb. This is a mighty warrior king, Jesus, whose name is Faithful and True, King of kings and Lord of lords, with a sword of the Word of God coming out of his mouth. Now, I don't think there's really a rider coming out with a, a sword coming out of his mouth to kill the sword all throughout Scripture represents uh, the Word of God, which condemns those who do not trust in Jesus. And in an instant, the beast and the false prophet who seemed mighty and, and victorious in battle, this beast and false prophet that are mentioned in chapters 12 and 13 that we covered, they're destroyed. And the rest, all those who have followed in the lies and the temptations of, of Satan, are killed by the sword that comes out of his mouth, the Word of God, that brings life to those who acknowledge Jesus as Christ, but clearly states that those who do not trust in Jesus are separated from God for all eternity in death. Which leads us to our last little bit in, in Revelation chapter 20, a passage of, of judgment. Judgment on Satan and judgment on those who do not follow Christ. Chapter 20 begins with Satan being imprisoned for a thousand years, uh, chapter 20, verse 1 to 3. And it says, He will then be loosed to uh, deceive from the four corners of the earth, all the earth, like a lion waiting to destroy. But then for that season he'll be tied up and have no influence for that thousand years. And the Christians who have been faithful to God in this time of tribulation and who have been killed for their faith will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And it says in verse 6, Blessed are those who have trusted in Jesus, for even death is not the end for them. They have eternal life beyond this death. They have been killed for their faith, but they have life, eternal life with God. For He raises them for the dead to reign with Christ for the thousand years. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death is not the end for those who follow Jesus. Verse 7 to 10, we see where Satan will be judged and condemned. He's released from his prison to go and to try to gather armies to battle against God in verse 8. And we see in verses 8 to 10, this is meant to be, if you look at Hollywood films, this is meant to be kind of a war that ends all wars, where, where good and evil are, are to kind of battle it out. And so verse 8, Satan is released to, to gather together the armies of the earth who he has deceived to battle against God. In verse 9, they've marched around the people of God and encircled them. And it looked to them, and it looked to any sort of military strategist, it looked probably to some of those Christian people like this is the end. Because the armies of the world and, and sin and darkness had surrounded the people of God, and it looked like it was going to be the end. But then God simply sends fire down from heaven and devours every one of them. And the devil, in verse 10, is put into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet were thrown to torment day and night forever and ever. Satan thinks he is powerful. He thinks he can deceive you. And he promises the world, but he's got nothing to offer. It's empty promises. Only Christ can offer you life. He is strong and he is victorious. Even when Satan thinks he's at his best and he thinks he's got us cornered, there's nothing that can stand against the power of our God. With great fire from heaven, God devours all of them. And then verse 11 to 15, we see uh, a judgment 
on all those who do not trust in Jesus. Now, it's important here to note that there are a couple of different judgments which are mentioned in the Scripture, which we often get confused. There's a judgment for Christians, which is often called the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ or the, the Bema seat of Christ. Uh, the Bema is actually an Olympic term where uh, the judge would sit at the end of a race high on a, a throne or a seat, and he would see who's come first and who's come second, that sort of stuff. The judgment seat of Christ is, is called that. It's a high uh, place of judgment, a high throne of Christ, where Christians will stand before Christ and be judged on how we've lived. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things that we've done well in the body, whether good or bad. So we will all be judged, even as Christians, we will be judged on how we've lived, whether it be good or bad. Now, that's not a judgment that condemns us to, to life, eternal life, or uh, to, to heaven or to hell. And because... Uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, our name is written in that Lamb's book of life, and we are eternally secure. This judgment is simply um, uh, judged on, on how we've lived and, uh, and how we've sought to honor Christ. 1 John 2, 2 says, Christ is the atoning sacrifice uh, for us and for all those who have sinned. He offers to all life. Any who trust in Jesus can be saved. There's not only the, uh, the judgment of, of Christians, but there's this judgment in Revelation chapter 20, which is for those who have not trusted in Jesus. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 to 10, also talks about a great white throne judgment of God where God sits on this throne surrounded by all white and He judges everyone out of these books. Romans chapter 14, verse 10 to 12 says, There will be a day in which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. For those who follow Jesus and those who have not followed Jesus will recognize the power, the authority of God. But for then, for those who have not turned to Christ, it will be too late. Judgment has come. We are all offered opportunity in this life to accept Christ as our Savior and then we'll be judged accordingly. God offers life to all. I mentioned John 3.16 that God loved the whole world so much that He gave His only Son so whoever believes in Him doesn't have to suffer and, and, and perish, but can have eternal life. He doesn't want anyone to, to, to perish, but for all to have eternal life. But this judgment rich in, in, in Revelation uh, chapter 20 is for those who haven't uh, put their, their trust in Jesus. And they're judged, first in verse 12, says they're judged according to how they've lived. And verse 15 says they're judged by opening the Lamb's book of life and if their name is not written in that Lamb's book of life, if they've not put their trust in Jesus, the Lamb, the conquering King, then they don't have eternal life in Christ. It says in verse 15, Anyone whose name was not found in that book of life was thrown into the lake of fire where that beast and the false prophet were. The ways of Satan seem alluring, don't they? There's money and pleasures, power and popularity, status but they all lead to destruction only jesus brings life peace hope security grace mercy and love satan may think he's got power over christ or he may try to convince you that he does but he knows that in the end he doesn't stand a chance all the kings all the money all the power all the authority can be wiped out in a second by the power of our god jesus is the victory jesus is life 
And because of Jesus, death is not the end for those who trust in Christ. Because of Jesus, sin has been defeated. And it doesn't have a hold on us anymore. Because of Jesus, we have fellowship with God, a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, is our Father. Because of Jesus, eternal life is ours. Not because we deserve it, but because He's merciful and gracious. Abundant life on earth is ours as Christians. Jesus says he's caught, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. A life with Christ. Even in the midst of storms and persecution, Christ brings hope and security. He offers to us life and peace. I want to challenge you and trust in Jesus. He is, the, he is our, our hope and our salvation. He is our security. He is the one who loves us, who offers to us eternal life. He is the conquering king, victorious over all. Satan's, his temptations and the, the sins and the things may seem bright and, and beautiful, but they lead to death. They lead to destruction. They lead to heartache. They lead to separation. They lead to difficulty. Christ offers to us life. God offers us life through Jesus. He is our anointed one, the one who, who pays the price for us. I want to challenge you. Hey, and trust in Jesus. Put your faith in Him. He is life. The Lamb of God who's paid the price for your sin is the mighty Lion of Judah, strong and victorious, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's just pray. Dear God, I just thank you and I praise you for who you are. And Lord, I know that um, the ways of, of the devil may seem powerful, they may seem strong, they may seem tempting, they may seem alluring to us in our life, they may seem attractive to those in our community or in our families here in this church. But Lord, help us to know you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us, Lord, to trust in you, our great Lord, the one who has paid for our salvation. You have paid with your own life, blood, for our life. You paid for, for our sin so we could have life, eternal life in you. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom we have in you. Thank you for the hope and the security we have in you. Thank you for the peace we have in you. Lord, help us to be people of your name that, that call on you, that trust in you in every avenue of our life, that, that, that don't fall to the temptations of, of the devil, but we stand strong in your word. We follow in your ways. You are our, a righteous king, holy and holy, holy, holy is your name. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.